right, Daniel chapter 11 tonight. Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We don't want to go backwards. If you're with us tonight and you're without a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisle and uh, you will be super lost tonight if you don't have a Bible in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you uh, this evening. As we come to Daniel uh, chapter 11, we remember that uh, from our previous study that chapters uh, 10, 11, and 12 all constitute a single uh, prophecy given by God to the prophet uh, Daniel, chapter 10 uh, that we studied last time described uh, the events immediately preceding the uh, giving of, uh, of the prophecy and of the vision. Chapter 11 here, we come to the vision itself. And then uh, chapter 12, for next time, there is the conclusion to all of it and a wrap-up of uh, the complete uh, book of, of Daniel. It is important again to be reminded that the key to understanding these last three chapters of the book of Daniel is found in chapter 10, verse 11, uh, verse 14, rather, where uh, Daniel was told, now I have come by the angel, I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people. Speaking of the Jews, Daniel was a Jew. Uh, in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days uh, yet to come. And so we notice that this prophecy is given supremely to the Jewish people. And if we don't understand that, uh, then somehow we'll uh, be tempted to uh, put the church somewhere uh, in the tribulation period and uh, uh, get our eschatology all, all mixed up and uh, put the church where it doesn't belong in the end times uh, scenario. This is speaking to uh, the, the Jews in terms of uh, their eschatology or study of the end times. Remember that uh, Daniel gave us the date that God gave him uh, this revelation or this uh, prophecy gave it to us in the first verse of chapter 10 of uh, the third year of King uh, Cyrus king of Persia so 536 uh, BC to help us get our bearings a, a little bit uh, some uh, uh, over 2500 years ago now uh, and as a result of the dating of this prophecy the years be between the giving of the prophecy and the actual fulfillment of the prophecy that, uh, that we will uh, read about tonight uh, between the emergence of Alexander the Great, who is uh, described in this prophecy, uh, that happened 200 years after Daniel uh, was given this prophecy. The division of the Grecian Empire into four uh, kingdoms, that happened 235 years after the giving of the prophecy. The 130-year uh, war that uh, went on between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and uh, where that began, uh, in, uh, all of that began 262 years after the giving of the prophecy. Uh, the reign and the death of Antiochus Epiphanes, which we'll see tonight, occurred 361 years after the prophecy. And just for perspective as we're looking at this tonight, and perspective will be important, uh, tonight, it, uh, remember that our country is four, 243 years old. So it would be like somebody uh, writing an exact uh, prophecy 
of the political condition of the United States of America today back in 1776, in the year of our independence. And you look and you go, how in the world could someone 243 years ago know that there would be 50 states, that there'd be a civil war, uh, that the powers of the world and, and the powers that exist within the nation uh, even existed. And so it, it really causes us to stop and marvel at, uh, at the marvel that the prophecy is uh, that is uh, before us here uh, tonight. Uh, this chapter parallels uh, the prophecies given in uh, chapter 8, the vision of the ram with the one horn larger than the other, uh, representing the Medo-Persian Empire, and then this great male goat that comes out of uh, the east and slams, out of the west and slams into it, speaking of Alexander the Great, as we saw when we uh, went through chapter 8. This is a parallel to all of that. Uh, and uh, when, uh, the first 35 verses of Daniel uh, chapter 11 are past. They've already been fulfilled. They're now past history. And then uh, verses uh, 36 to 45 and on into chapter 12, those are future, and we'll look at those uh, another time next week. So he begins the prophecies of, of the immediate future in terms of Daniel's time and, and within a few hundred years of, of his time in terms of being, uh, uh, these prophecies being fulfilled. And so uh, Daniel is told, also in the first year of Darius the Mede, the angel speaking to uh, Daniel, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him, that is, Darius uh, the Mede. And so the statement that he makes concerning Darius the Mede, uh, this messenger, this angel, was instrumental somehow in confirming Darius, strengthening Darius in his uh, successful war against Babylon. And it may very well speak to some battle that occurred uh, in the angelic realm in uh, kind of the transition of the uh, Babylonian Empire into the Medo-Persian Empire. Darius the Mede was the first ruler over the Medo-Persian Empire. And this angel was somehow involved in all of that, assuring that this new kingdom would be put in place, a kingdom that would be favorable toward uh, the Jews and the Jewish people, and that they would be allowed to return to their land. It was uh, Darius who became, uh, the, as I said, the first ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire following the fall of, of Babylon under Belshazzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. It was also Darius, as we've been in Daniel, who so respected Daniel that upon overthrowing the Babylonian Empire, uh, he could recognize talent, he could recognize uh, maturity, he could recognize uh, a moral foundation in another human being. He knew the kind of people he wanted to surround himself with, and, and he came into contact with uh, uh, Daniel and was so impressed by him that initially he made him one of three governors over the entire Medo-Persian Empire. And then ultimately was uh, so further impressed with him that he was determined then to make him the sole uh, uh, governor over the entire empire, uh, only second to uh, Darius. 
And, uh, and then that, of course, produced the jealousy among all of the other uh, rulers within the empire that ended up getting Daniel uh, through all of the chicanery to, thrown into the lion's den. And we remember the relief that Darius felt uh, that Daniel had survived that night with the lions and, uh, and, and, uh, and then extolled the, the God of Daniel in a message that was then sent throughout the entire uh, Medo-Persian Empire. And, uh, and so uh, he goes on in verse 2, And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up uh, all against the realm of Greece. And so when he says, and I tell, now I tell you the truth, that is the truth uh, of what he's about uh, to prophesy here, that all of it is going to come to pass uh, in, in the future. The angel declared Daniel uh, to Daniel that four more kings would uh, arise in the Persian Empire in, in the history of it uh, after uh, Darius and, and Cyrus, who was uh, then living at that time, and that the fourth of these kings will be uh, far greater than the uh, first three, and that the fourth king will stir up all, uh, 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 all the realm of the, of, of, of the powers and nations and things that were under its power and influence uh, against the realm of Greece and uh, unite all of Persia and her allies against uh, Greece. The fulfillment of that uh, certainly occurred historically. Uh, the next uh, emperor or the next king over Persia, uh, Cambyses, and then followed by Pseudo-Smyrdis, uh, and then Darius I, and then the fourth that he speaks about here was Artaxerxes uh, I. And uh, you might remember from elsewhere in the Old Testament uh, that this is the uh, king of Persia that Esther ultimately became uh, one of his wives. Uh, Xerxes I has uh, made an attempt at the invasion of Greece. He attempted that in 480 BC. He gathered an army that we're told historically numbered in the hundreds. Uh, of thousands of people. That was the way of the Persians in warfare. They just bludgeoned you and brought you into subjection by way of, of sheer numbers. It was the largest uh, assembled army in the history of the world up to that particular point in time. It was staged in order to uh, then uh, invade Greece, but uh, initially they experienced a series of uh, v uh, victories that occurred that got their hopes up, uh, but then the Greeks inflicted uh, several great and massive uh, decisive de defeats upon Xerxes, uh, driving the Persian Empire out of Greece and then setting the stage, as is declared here, for uh, the next empire, uh, the Grecian Empire. And so God revealed this in 534 and uh, 54 years before the event. In verse 3, uh, it moves on now to Greece's conquest of 
uh, Medo-Persia. Then a mighty king shall arise uh, who will rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And so uh, the, the angel declares the prophecy to Daniel that following the Persian Empire, uh, that there will be another kingdom that will arise. It will have a mighty ruler. This was fulfilled, of course, historically in Alexander uh, the Great, who came into power in 335 uh, B.C. And uh, we're to- uh, Daniel was told that when he is arisen, uh, he would do according to his will. In other words, uh, no one would be able to stop him. He would be undefeated in battle uh, in, in his lifetime. And of course, Alexander the Great, uh, he died relatively young after uh, conquering much of what is called the known world in those days and uh, stretching from Greece all the way through the Middle East, uh, conquering all of northern Africa and extending the, the Greece, uh, Greek Empire all the way uh, into India. And at a very uh, young age, 31, 32 years old, uh, he set up his headquarters in Babylon. Interestingly enough, he did not go back to Greece. And after some kind of perhaps a drunken kind of party, uh, walking out into the rain, getting soaking wet, and then lying down in a bed uh, uh, soaked through the night, uh, contracted perhaps pneumonia, something happened to him and, and an illness that, that he did not uh, uh, survive. And, uh, all, and none of it was helped by his alcoholism. He was drinking very, very heavily by that period of time. And then when you come, uh, when we come into verses 4 through uh, 35, and, and specifically here as we look at verses 4 through 20, Uh, Here is a a prophecy concerning the conflict that would occur between two of the four portions uh, of the Grecian Empire that would be divided up upon Alexander's death uh, among the four Alexander Alexander the Great's generals. The four winds that are spoken of there... uh, in verse 4, and when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided uh, toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion, speaking of Alexander the Great, with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others beside uh, these. And the four winds speaks to the fact that upon Alexander's great uh, death, it was an unexpected death. There was no successor that was uh, plans made for uh, him uh, following his his reign, and then a great uh, power struggle for the this incredible empire called the Greek Empire, uh, for who would control it. He did have two blood relatives, uh, two sons, and and I think an uncle or a nephew who were uh, killed uh, in order to disqualify them effectively for uh, becoming the next emperor of the Grecian Empire, and uh, and it was the kingdom was ultimately divided divided into four directions, so to speak, four winds, and among four of his, his generals. And, uh, and the prophecy here focuses now only upon two of those four kingdoms. It, it, it completely ignores the other two. And it focuses on Egypt, which was governed by Ptolemy, and then also uh, the section of the Grecian Empire 
that was uh, <clears throat> made up of Syria and Mesopotamia, uh, governed by Seleucus. And, uh, and, and the reason that those two are focused upon, you have Syria up here, you have Egypt down here, and who lies in between them? Uh, Israel. And uh, so everything that happened uh, within <clears throat> those two sections of the Grecian Empire uh, affected uh, Israel and the Jewish people. And the prophecy is being given to Daniel, but it is also being given to Daniel so it would be written to give perspective to the Jews who would find themselves in what was essentially a meat grinder uh, of uh, uh, what was called the Syrian Wars that covered a, a six major wars covering a period of 130 years between uh, the, the uh, kingdom in, established in Egypt and the kingdom established in uh, Syria. Now, there's a 400-year gap that exists between uh, the, the record of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and there is that uh, the, and, uh, from the time of the final events of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament and, and to the appearance of John the Baptist in the New Testament. And that 400-year period is known as the 400 uh, silent years. And, uh, and to, to name it the 400 silent years is perfectly accurate in the sense that God spoke no active revelation into uh, the world during those uh, 400 years. He was kind of building this uh, pregnant pause and expectation in the world for the arrival of his son, the Messiah, that the Old Testament had prophesied about. And so there is this pause uh, in, in prophetic history that occurs between the Old and the New uh, Testament. But the Bible isn't entirely silent concerning that uh, 400-year period between the two, Old and New Testament, because here in Daniel chapter 11, uh, God gave very specific prophecies concerning uh, events that would happen in the world that would affect the Jews uh, during those years. And uh, that the, the two divisions of the Grecian Empire, again, one located in Egypt under Ptolemy, the other located in Syria under Seleucus, uh, that they would be at continual war with one another, and that during that time, Israel, the Jewish people, would be caught uh, in between those two warring uh, factions, that they would wear the, bear the brunt of uh, th this war that would go on uh, uh, for so many years, one gaining power over the other, and then uh, vice versa, going back and forth and uh, repeatedly being invaded first from the north and then from the south and then from the south and then from the north, and, and all of that that went on for that 130-year uh, 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 period. And, uh, and, and the, is the Jewish people in the nation of Israel uh, being under the supremacy of whichever of these two kingdoms kind of reign supreme at any particular uh, moment in time. And, uh, and uh, the only thing that brought about the end of that period of 130 years of war between the two uh, kingdoms 
was the fact that the wars left both of the kingdoms so depleted of wealth ultimately and manpower that they were uh, ultimately conquered by uh, the Romans and the Parthians. And so this long series of wars uh, began with uh, Ptolemy in, in Egypt, who is referred to as uh, the king of the south in the prophecy, and those under his leadership were known as the, as, uh, the, the Ptolemies. And then Seleucus in Syria, who is referred to as the king of the north in the prophecy, and those who were under his uh, leadership were known as the Seleucids in terms of of, of history and well-known kind of uh, names in terms of, of history. Then in verse 5, uh, the prophecy goes on, and also the king of the south shall become strong as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion, and his dominion shall be a great dominion. And so the king uh, of, of the south of Israel, which was, was Egypt, uh, General Ptolemy I, uh, as well as one of his princes, as is described here, uh, refers to one of Ptolemy's uh, princes by the name of Seleucus, and the cantor, uh, who was initially helped by Ptolemy. As a result, uh, he uh, ultimately rose to become the ruler of the Syrian uh, quadrant of the, the Greek uh, empire, another quarter of the, the Greek empire, and he ultimately excels even Ptolemy, his kind of mentor and helper in extending the Syrian quadrant all the way uh, to India. And then in verse 6, and at the end of some years, they shall join forces, for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, and with him who strengthened her in those times." And so after some period of years, the daughter of the king of the south, uh, Daniel is told, is going to go to the king of the north in an attempt to make an agreement, a peace agreement between the two kind of warring uh, uh, kingdoms. Initially, the two kings uh, be, uh, were to become uh, brief allies before becoming enemies once again. And uh, when the hostilities broke out, uh, in an effort then to kind of produce a harmonious relationship between uh, the two kingdoms, they decided to become family. They decided to intermarry. Uh, Ptolemy gave his uh, daughter uh, Berenice in marriage to Antiochus Theos of uh, Syria, who was by then the king of the north. Uh, Antiochus was already married to a woman by the name of uh, uh, Laodice. Uh, the city of Laodicea would be named after her. And uh, he, divor he divorced Laodice in order to marry Berenice and this, uh, this ar arrangement. Two years after the death of Berenice's father Ptolemy, Antiochus then put Berenice away with her son and, uh, and uh, took back his first wife, Laodice, uh, who in turn poisoned Antiochus uh, out of revenge. Be careful, gentlemen. Be very, very careful. 
So she poisoned him out of revenge and then ordered uh, the death of Berenice and her son, and then she put her own son, Cilicius uh, uh, Nicias, on the throne. Uh, I don't know if she was the one that produced the the old saying, hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned, but uh, she certainly could come under that banner. And of course, the complete uh, collapse, the, the agreement completely collapsed under uh, all of these circumstances, even as was prophesied. Uh, so many hundreds of years earlier uh, is the prophecy was given uh, to Daniel. And then in verse 7, but from a branch of her roots, uh, one shall arise to his place who shall come with an army into the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gods captive to uh, Egypt with their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold, and he shall continue more uh, years than the king uh, of the north. And so at this point in, in history, again, all of this being prophesied, we look back on it in the fulfillment. And uh, Egypt then uh, prevailed in an attack upon uh, Syria. Ptolemy III, he's the brother of Berenice, he led a successful attack against uh, Cilicius, and, uh, and he put uh, Laodice to death, and then he returned to Egypt with uh, great spoils and many, many uh, captives. Verse 9, also the king of the north shall come uh, to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. And uh, following that, the king of the north, Syria, then attempted to conquer the king of the south, Egypt, but was unsuccessful. This occurred two years later, uh, but uh, he was defeated when his uh, fleet was destroyed uh, by a storm. And then uh, in uh, coming then into verses 10 through 19, uh, we have a record of Cilicius's two sons, uh, the king of the north, uh, each, of, each of their attempts at invasion of the southern kingdom uh, of the Ptolemies in, in Egypt. And so it just gives us kind of a sense of how these Syrian wars uh, went on. Uh, and, uh, and again, to put yourself in the, uh, the shoes uh, or the sandals of the Jews at that time. And how many invasions back and forth and back and forth and these armies trudging through uh, the land. And each time these events occurred, uh, they, were, uh, they were trudging then through the land of Israel and, and bringing that kind of, uh, of destruction. And, uh, and there is a, a gentleman by the name, I shouldn't say gentleman, there is a historical figure by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes that we'll read about uh, very, very soon, giving some of you hope, uh, that uh, we're going to be talking about, and he was vicious in his, in his treatment of the Jews. So we look back on it, and we're able to read it historically. And I'm able to talk to you about how this was filled his historically. But it wasn't written supremely for us in this room tonight. It was written for the Jews who were in the land of Israel during those 130 years of these wars going on when they had to be wondering, especially under uh, Antiochus Epiphanes' fierce persecution of them, are we going to survive? Are, we, are the Jewish people going to survive the wars between these two kingdoms? 
Is the land of Israel going to survive? And, the, and this prophecy of Daniel, though it may seem very distant to us tonight, is exactly where they would turn and be able to read it and to understand the events that were, were occurring immediately as they were alive and to realize that they would survive it. And uh, who would do what and who would do what next and that the Jewish people would outlive all of this chapter in human history. And that's what the purpose of the prophecy was, supremely, was for the Jews in that, in that uh, area. And uh, so uh, these two invasions of Egypt by Seleucus's two sons, one of them would be uh, partially successful, the other would be uh, defeated. You notice in verse 10, however, his sons shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Uh, then he shall return uh, to his fortress and stir up uh, strife. And so uh, Egypt had uh, controlled all of the territory uh, of the land at that time, right up to the borders of of Syria. That also included the land of Israel. Antiochus III, he succeeded then in driving the Egyptians back to uh, the southern borders of, of Israel in this campaign. So it was successful in at least driving the Ptolemies back uh, toward Egypt. And then the unsuccessful attempt is described for us in verse 11. And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of his army, uh, his enemy rather. And uh, when he has taken uh, when he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up, and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former, and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army and much equipment. And so uh, this is speaking of Antiochus the Great. He put together a great force, uh, but he was defeated by... Uh, Egypt by Ptolemy uh, Philippator, and uh, Ptolemy following this great defeat of the Seleucids, uh, as is described in verses 12 and 13, he did not push the, uh, the victory that he had to its full uh, effect. And if he had uh, pushed it to its full effect, he could have set the Seleucids back uh, many, many years from ever causing uh, uh, Egypt or the Ptolemy, Ptolemaic uh, Empire any kind of, of difficulty. But instead, he had a victory. He did begin to then think, well, this is an opportunity for me to begin to delve into debauchery and sin and into a, a, a wicked, licentious life, which is what he did and uh, leaving room for a successful counterattack by the Seleucids 14 years later upon the death of uh, Ptolemy and uh, who had only left an infant son behind him uh, to reign. 
Uh, and then in verse 14, as the historical account continues, now in those times, many shall rise against the king uh, of the south, also violent men of your people, speaking to Daniel of, of the Jews, uh, and they shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but uh, they shall uh, uh, fall. And uh, so the Egyptian and violent Jews uh, would use this time of instability in terms of, of Egypt uh, fighting this war and uh, being laid siege to, to lead a rebellion against the, the Ptolemaic uh, uh, kingdom, but they were uh, unsuccessful. Verse 15, and so the king of the north shall come and build a, a siege mound take a fortified city and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist, but he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land uh, with destruction in his power. And so here you have the somewhat uh, successful uh, attempt uh, Antiochus uh, the Great out of uh, Syria. He defeated uh, the Egyptian armies. As a result of it, he occupied uh, uh, Israel and, uh, and uh, the, uh, all the way into Banyas or uh, Caesarea Philippi. Those of you who have been there on a trip to, to Israel, and he then drove the Egyptian forces all the way back uh, into uh, to, uh, Egypt. And then in verse 17, he shall set his face to enter with uh, the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him, and thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it, but he shall not stand with him, or uh, she shall not stand with him, or be uh, for him." Uh, he then attempted to take uh, Antiochus the Great did all of Egypt, and his first attempt was a fairly uh, peaceful means. He tried to do it by way of marriage, and so an agreement was made between Antiochus the Great and Ptolemy uh, Epiphanes and uh, Cleopatra, not the famous queen uh, of, of Egypt. Uh, this was a, a daughter of Antiochus, was given to Ptolemy uh, in an attempt to destroy him. We're going to uh, marry someone who is going to try and destroy uh, this, this man and, and bring an end uh, from uh, inside. You know, it's kind of a mole kind of a, a, of a deal. And, uh, but she ended up uh, siding with her husband whom she loved. And she sided with her new husband, had such respect for him, uh, even over her father, and it, and it blew up uh, the whole plan. And so because the plan was unsuccessful, Antiochus the Great then started to invade uh, the coastlands, as we see in verse 18. And after this, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take uh, many, but a ruler shall bring the reproach uh, against them to an end. And uh, with the reproach removed, he shall uh, uh, turn uh, back on him. And so with this unsuccessful at attempt at, at this uh, you know, kind of thing with the, uh, the marrying of, of the daughter into the Ptolemaic uh, kingdom, Antiochus the Great then started to invade the coastlands, that is the, 
the island countries of the Mediterranean Sea, but in attempting to then uh, expand into Greece itself, uh, he gained the attention of uh, the Romans, who were ascending now as a power uh, at this point in time, and they sent an army uh, to turn him back and uh, he was then defeated by uh, the Roman captain uh, Scipio uh, Azateacus. And uh, so, historically, the fulfillment of verse 18. And then in verse uh, 19, then uh, he, Antiochus, shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, uh, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. And so, uh, later on, uh, when he returned to his own land, he died trying to plunder a temple in Elam. Uh, when he was defeated by the Romans, he returned uh, to his own land. He died as a result of an insurrection that resulted from his attempt to plunder a temple in Elam. Uh, evidently, he was trying to plunder the temple in order to get enough money uh, to pay what Rome was demanding of him by, by, uh, by ter- in terms of taxes by virtue of his, his defeat. And then the events uh, following his death, there shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And so in his place we're told uh, that there would be prophetically here, and then we see the, the historically the fulfillment of it, that there would be one who would impose uh, taxes. And, uh, and uh, this was a gentleman by the name of Cilicius uh, Philopater. He was known as uh, Payer of Taxes. That was his uh, nickname. And so and, uh, following Antiochus the Great's defeat by the Romans uh, and, and the, the, uh, the taxes that were then uh, put upon them to pay for the, the war that was waged against the Romans, he taxed the glorious kingdom. That is, he taxed uh, Israel the harshest in order to pay uh, those fees. We're told that uh, in the prophecy that he wouldn't live uh, very long and he uh, uh, would not die in anger or in battle. Uh, and all of that happened historically. He was poisoned by his treasure, uh, treasurer, uh, Helidorus. And so, uh, it, but as you look at this, getting even uh, this far uh, in, in the prophecy to, to verse 20, uh, you, this is an astonishing prophecy. Look at the detail. Look at the detail that is, that is given to us uh, in, in the prophecy. And, uh, and, and then uh, as we read here in chapter 11, again, we read it as history. We read it as something that's been fulfilled. And, and, and so it can lose its wow factor uh, for us. But when it was given, it was entirely prophetic and it wasn't just some kind of a general one or two statements about uh, you know uh, Ptolemy and Antiochus 
But the incredible detail concerning the division of the Greek Empire, focusing in on two uh, kingdoms within uh, the Greek Empire, and then the great battles and and all that would take place, and then the details of the back and forth uh, of of all of it. And and all of it was in the future at the time that it was given. And that tendency that we can, that can sometimes we, we can be tempted to have it and think, well, let's get, let's get on to the part that has to do with the future, something that does uh, with us. But it's important to remember, when that prophecy was given, all of it was future for God's people. It's amazing uh, what we're reading and the testimony that uh, the fulfillment of prophecy is to the divine inspiration of the word only God could know these, these kind of, of things. And so, again, we have to stop and put ourselves in uh, the shoes of the Jewish people and what this would have meant to them during that trying time to look at the prophecy of Daniel and go, it is unfolding just like God said it would. God is in control. This is a mess, but we're going to be okay. And that's what the prophecy was intended to do. It is for the Jewish people. And, uh, uh, and, and uh, uh, even as the, the fulfillment of prophecies uh, in our day are intended to produce that same Uh, effect within us. We see what's going to happen. We see the detail. We see it unfolding before our very eyes. The details of of the Olivet Discourse and the book of Revelation and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Isaiah and Ezekiel, all of it coming to pass right before our eyes, right now as we sit as Christians in this room and in this age. And, And all of it's intended that as we see the uncertainty of all of it, and wonder what's going to be the future uh, of the church, what's going to be the future of Christians, what's going to be the future of the world, that we would turn to those scriptures uh, for comfort in the same way that they did uh, in, in that, that period uh, between the two testaments that uh, all of this was speaking about. Now, in verse 21, we come to this awful, terrible human being uh, by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And so uh, we saw a little bit about him in Daniel chapter 8, and I refer you to Daniel chapter 8 for any kind of a fuller handling uh, and understanding of him. But there's a sense in which uh, verses 1 through 20 constitute an introduction uh, to this very, very uh, vile persecutor uh, of the Jewish people, Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a type in the Old Testament of the Antichrist who, who would to co- uh, come. As we mentioned back in Daniel chapter 8, he's the one that took on, he, he was just simple Antiochus. Uh, he took on the title of Epiphanes, which means uh, the illustrious one. Can you imagine making a business card? You feel a little self-conscious. I wouldn't do it just because it'd be too much to live up to. Maybe in my 20s I could live up to being an illustrious one. But at this age, I have no interest in it at all. I don't have the energy for it. So I'll just go with Damien. But uh, this is how serious he, he took himself. And, 
but behind his back, he was given a nickname, uh, Epimanes, which means uh, the madman. So kind of a play word. They're both E words. And uh, so at this point in, in history, as the prophecy goes forward, uh, the Seleucid kingdom had become the dominant of, of the two kingdoms. And verse 21, And in his place shall arise a vile person, speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, to whom they, uh, they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by uh, intrigue. And so he did seize the throne. It was rightly belonged to uh, his nephew. And, uh, and he had himself proclaimed as king, and uh, so he didn't, uh, he didn't ascend the, king, the, the, the throne by a rightful succession or by war, as the prophecy said, but that he would do it by uh, intrigue. Uh, the account goes on, verse 22, with the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from uh, before him and be broken, and also the pr- uh, prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of uh, people. And so, all of his enemies, we're told here, uh, would be defeated very early in his reign. He won a military victory that uh, caused people to overlook all of the intrigue and manipulations that he did in order to unlawfully gain uh, the, the throne. And, uh, and we're told that he entered into a covenant treaty with uh, the leader of the army that he had defeated, Ptolemy, to then assist him in securing his throne in Egypt because his younger brother had taken it away from him. And Antiochus thought uh, that this would give him a foothold in Egypt, but upon restoring Ptolemy back to his rightful reign in Egypt, the two brothers reconciled and, uh, in Egypt and aligned together to push Antiochus and his army back from a fortress that they, uh, that they held on the border of Egypt. Verse 24, and uh, speaking of Antiochus, he shall uh, enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province. And he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, uh, but only for a time. And so under the pretense of peace, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, as was prophesied here, he took the fertile, most fertile lands in the area. He invaded them that were around him, uh, Egypt, Israel, in order to plunder their wealth. And then he distributed uh, the wealth with his uh, followers in order to buy and maintain their, uh, their loyalty. Uh, but his plans to overrun the fortresses of, of Egypt, they were never, uh, never realized. And then uh, we pick things up in uh, uh, verse uh, 25 here. And uh, he shall stir up power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great army, uh, great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who uh, eat the portion of his delicacies shall uh, destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down uh, slain. And so uh, the Egyptian king 
were the Ptolemy uh, Fiscon. He was undermined by those in his kingdom who should have supported him, but they were, uh, they were moles. They, supported, uh, they should have supported him in his battle against Antiochus, and, uh, but he was undermined them and then was defeated by uh, Antiochus. And this refers to Antiochus Epiphany's first campaign uh, against Egypt in 170 uh, B.C., verse 27. Uh, Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper, for the end will be at the uh, appointed time. And so Antiochus and his Egyptian counterparts, they attempted these various agreements uh, uh, or, and attempts at conditions of peace, but because both of them were lying and uh, lying in the negotiations, the negotiations didn't succeed uh, at all. Uh, verse 28, and while returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage in return to his uh, own land. And so as Antiochus is returning to his own land, uh, Syria from uh, Egypt following his victories, he is laden with all kinds of wealth and he proceeds to do great damage to uh, the land of, uh, of, of Israel. And uh, here we see an early indication of his uh, hatred of the Jewish people and of his desire now to spoil the temple of, of the wealth that is found there. So after plundering Egypt, the king goes home by way of Israel, and as he goes home by way of Israel, he finds an insurrection is going on there against him. As you might remember in chapter 8, uh, the word had come back to the Jews that Antiochus had been defeated in battle against the Ptolemies, and, but he hadn't. And uh, Antiochus had put his own high priest in over the Jews, supplanting the proper high, uh, legitimate high priest of the Jews. And when the Jews heard that Antiochus had been uh, defeated, they then got rid of his high priest and put the rightful high priest in place. When they find out, when they find out that he wasn't defeated, that he won the battle, and Antiochus comes back up through the land, and he realizes that they had tried to pull this insurrection off, he goes berserk and uh, begins a horrible, horrible uh, persecution of them and uh, massacring 80,000 men, women, and children. And then he looted uh, the temple with the help of, of his evil high priest. And, and, uh, and then in verse uh, 29, as all of it continues, and at the appointed time he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the, uh, shall not be like the former uh, or uh, the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall uh, come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and uh, do uh, damage. And so uh, two years later, uh, really all the way through verse 35 here, 168 B.C., he attempts a second uh, military expedition into uh, the the south against uh, Egypt. He wasn't successful, and uh, everything went, as we see in verse 30, everything went planned uh, as planned initially, and then he uh, ran head-on into uh, uh, the emerging power of the world at that time, 
and that was the Rome, uh, who, was, who were now uh, gaining control of Alexandria there in, in Egypt. And so uh, the ships from Cyprus, as they're referred to there in verse 30, refers to the Roman ships that had come to Alexandria uh, at the request of the Ptolemies and uh, carrying a letter uh, from the Roman officials forbidding Antiochus to engage in a war with uh, Egypt. Uh, Antiochus uh, as he's standing on a beach with these Roman officials who are giving him this ultimatum to return back to Syria without bothering uh, Egypt, he asked them for a little bit of time uh, to think about it. And uh, famously, as he's trying to, to uh, gain some time in order to defy uh, the, uh, the uh, edict, uh, the Roman emissary drew a circle in the sand around Antiochus and demanded that he give his answer before he stepped out of the circle. And Antiochus uh, had no interest in taking on uh, Rome or defying Rome at this particular point in time. Uh, it would have meant to take on uh, a, a budding Roman uh, uh, empire, and he didn't want to declare war on Rome. This was a humiliating defeat for Antiochus, and, uh, and so it talks about him losing heart. He has no uh, option but now to return to his own uh, in his own land. And uh, so halfway through verse 30, so he shall return and show uh, regard for those who forsake the holy uh, covenant. And so uh, he's humiliated, he's enraged, and as he and his military made their way home through back to Syria like a bully, he vents all of his anger upon the Jews now uh, for a second time. And this history, uh, as we, we looked at it briefly in chapter 8, but all of it is, so much of it is recorded. The best historical source related to it is First and Second uh, uh, Maccabees. And so he's humiliated, he's enraged, and he sends an officer to Jerusalem uh, pretending that he is coming now in peace. Uh, but on the Sabbath day, he suddenly attacks the Jews. He massacres even more people. He plunders uh, the, the city. And uh, he had apparently uh, sympathizers among some of the Jewish population who betrayed their own people. And then he rewarded them uh, as a result. Uh, as you go here into verse 31, and forces shall be mustered uh, by him uh, and uh, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, and then they shall take away uh, the daily sacrifices and uh, place there the abomination of desolation. And so, as a part of his rage against the Jews, he polluted the holy altar of the temple by offering a pig. I mean, we've been, a lot of us have been on this journey through the Scriptures since Genesis. And a pig it was unclean. I mean, it was just, this was, this, this was to attempt to poke them in the eye and humiliate them in a, in a massive way. And so he slaughters this female pig on the altar. 
He then forbids the continuance of of the daily sacrifices. Again, Daniel, the prophecy is speaking of it come to pass. All of it came to pass exactly as was declared. He then issued orders that the Jews should cease their worship. And then he erected an image of Zeus in in the area of, of the holy place. And by virtue of doing that, between the pig and the, the image of Zeus, he desecrated the temple. In other words, uh, no, it became a, a desolation. Nobody would come there to worship now among the Jews until the purification of all of it under the Maccabees. And uh, you can read that uh, on your own. But all of these actions, as you see, in verse 32, uh, speaking of uh, the Maccabeans and, and others who rose up against this, uh, this uh, despicable abomination, uh, those who do wickedly against the co- uh, covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. He found Jews to, uh, to placate in his plans, but the people who know their God, there's always a remnant among God's people, shall be strong and carry out uh, great exploits. And these actions of Antiochus Epiphanes then led to uh, the, the Maccabean uh, revolt, uh, revolt and, uh, and uh, one of the uh, highlights and mountaintop kind of uh, events in, in, uh, in, in Jewish history. And then in verse uh, 33, and those of the people who understand uh, shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and uh, plundering. And so Antiochus killed tens of thousands of Jews in his uh, determination to put down the revolt under Antiochus, uh, under the, the Maccabeans uh, by force. And then verse 34, now when they, f- uh, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by int- intrigue. And some of those who understand, uh, of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. And so uh, some Jews did affect to, uh, defect to Antiochus, uh, and uh, uh, even while others were uh, remaining strong against him and, and fighting against him. It's, it's awful how that kind of thing can, uh, can happen. Uh, this uh, period in Jewish history is described here uh, prophetically as being a time of purging uh, and, and a separation of the true from the false. The motivations. Not uh, every Jew was a good Jew uh, historically. And, uh, and it was to separate and show who, who really loved God and, and, and cared and those who were uh, courageous versus those who were uh, cowardly or, or faint-hearted. And again, all of these events took place in that 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what do we have read? Um, I... Uh, uh, I tend not to uh, commend audiences f- uh, and congregations, not that I have a bunch of them. I only have one. <laughs> I should say people for being attentive to the Word of God. But this is a passage of Scripture that uh, demands uh, a lot. I mean, it's very unique even, even within uh, the Scriptures uh, in terms of like preparing for it. It's like 
uh, in 35 years at this, and uh, maybe second only to uh, Romans chapter 9, and in terms of uh, trying to make heads or tails of it myself in order to make it uh, clear enough for everyone. And, uh, but what we have before us is just a, an absolute marvel. Again, we read it as history. unless we remember that it was completely prophetic at the moment it was given and all of it fulfilled in this astonishing detail and these 35 verses contain about 135 specific promises and each of them were fulfilled exactly as God had stated they uh, would be and again think about how much this prophecy would have meant to your people, Daniel, to the Jews in the middle of this mess, in needing perspective, needing to hear God's voice in the middle of all of this. So often when I, I'm praying for someone who is in a maybe physically very ill or in the middle of a completely disorienting uh, trial. One of the things I pray most often uh, for them is, Lord, would you give them something from your throne? Something that they will recognize is from you, your voice. Bring a word to their remembrance. Bring a song to their remembrance that they uh, can sing in order to help them have perspective in the middle of this massively hard trial that they find themselves in the, in the middle of. Because at a time like that, no human voice can help us. We've got to hear something from God. And so God gave uh, it to them for that season uh, in, in, their, uh, in their history. As they're wondering, are we going to survive? Is the nation going to survive? Are the Jewish people going to survive as well? And so why go through all of this in this kind uh, of, uh, of detail? Why is this of any use to us at all? And, and there is a way to skim through all of this, but I just figure, um, well, it's not me to do it that way. And I figure it's in the Bible and it's important for us to at least try to know, or at least know, yeah, I remember, I... I was in a Bible study on Daniel 11. Don't remember anything about it. Uh, but I do remember that was God's awesome uh, concerning His prophecies. And so the reason to go through it in that kind of detail tonight is to drive home the point that just as these past prophecies were fulfilled to almost microscopic detail, to absolute perfection to realize that when we read God's prophecies concerning the future, some of which we will get into next week in Daniel, that every single one of them is going to come to pass as perfectly and as completely as this one did for the Jews so uh, long ago. And that by the time that man's history is complete, Every single prophecy in the Bible is going to read like Daniel chapter 11. It will be 100% complete. 
And so when you read the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus talks about the last days and what will be the signs uh, of the times, and we read the book of Revelation, we read uh, the book of Daniel, we read the book of Isaiah, we read the book of Ezekiel, we read First and Second uh, Thessalonians, and all of these places in the Scripture that speak of Uh, what is going to come to pass in this world and how God is going to ultimately and wonderfully prevail in all of it to realize it's not uh, fiction. It will all come to pass as surely as what we have read here tonight has come to pass. If you sit here tonight and you are not yet a Christian, uh, who would bet against uh, a Bible? that contains something like this, and a God who was able to write this. Again, every once in a while, you run into somebody who says, you know, men wrote the Bible. Show me that man. Uh, Show me who can write this. Show me who can write a proverb. Show me who can write a psalm. I say, you have a very high view of human beings. I don't share your high view of them. Um, Myself included. No, no man ever uh, wrote uh, this, this book at all. And then how would I bet against a book like this when it tells me, as Jesus said concerning himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And the necessity of being born again, putting your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation tonight, and becoming one of his disciples and one of his followers If you've never done that, you'd like to do that tonight. There'll be pastors and other men and women up in front after the service. We'd love to answer your questions and pray with you to start that relationship with God tonight. If you have any need in your life tonight, they would love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer and a worship song.